Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. We are back better than ever. It is the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports and National Fame. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN of the SEC Network. And together we are back for a post-spring football, a post-NFL draft, a post-breaking news week or so in college football. So we got plenty to talk about. That's the way we like it. It might be the off season in terms of games, but plenty of information to roll through and give you your college football fix. JC, how are you? Uh, doing good, Mike. Um, May 1st already. Uh, I know that's kind of the the popular thing on social media these days. It's a, every time there's a first of the month that rolls around, it's a, uh, oh, I can't believe it's already this month or that month. Or this year's just flying by, but it is flying by, and um, man, we're about 90 days away from the opening of college football practice for the 2018 season. So that's uh, uh, we can look forward to all those top 100 countdown kind of things <laughs> that, we, that we're inundated with every summer, and um, all that NFL draft was just recently, and that's kind of a uh, I think that in the end of spring practice is kind of the the starting point for the countdown to the season. So certainly will be lots to talk about and analyze here in the coming months. Yeah. The start of the, of the talk, the start of the dog days of summer. But <clears throat> again, one of the things we will do is try to uh, quench your thirst for college football discussion and listen uh, during the off season. Of course, uh, during the season, we're absolutely jammed. We appreciate those of you who continue to uh, follow us on the JC Morgan podcast, growing by the minutes, even uh, even in this off season, so we appreciate that. Also appreciate our primary sponsor, BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Brent Skinner and the gang do an outstanding job. I have never looked better head to toe, and it's not because I'm getting mani pedis and facials and Botox. It's because I'm just getting some really good clothes lined up from my man Brent Skinner. Go ahead and check him out. Doesn't matter where you're listening to us right now. He goes all over the country to get custom fitting suits and clothes for whoever coaches players announcers uh and it could be the guy selling insurance right now that's listening to us go to bpskinnerclothiers.com and set up an appointment you will not do better you will never look better than what you will wind up appearing like after spending some time with brent skinner so jc we'll piggyback on the draft that just took place uh last weekend as we sit here and record this I, I always love the I am an NFL draft nerd. OK, I feel like whenever I say this, like I should be in a in an anonymous meeting full of people and, and everybody's saying, Mike, thank you for sharing. <clears throat> Going back to 1991, 
And there was a time where I considered myself a Cowboys fan. I finally just got uh, nauseated by Jerry Jones, and now I I root for players more than I do teams. But after the Herschel Walker deal, I remember the nerd that I was, like senior year in high school, with like a a clipboard and going through all the the picks that Dallas had accumulated in that trade and uh, all the college players and, and just sitting there. And I was fascinated, fixated on everything Mel Kuyper had to say on every breaking news story from Chris Mortensen and, and everything. And I have been a draft geek since 1991. It hasn't stopped. And when I say that, I don't just tune in like, you know, now they break it up into three days and it's a Thursday night first round extravaganza. That's where a lot, that's where they probably get their biggest number in terms of ratings. I actually love, usually I'm on the road. It's a hotel somewhere getting ready to broadcast a college baseball game this time of year. I actually love day three. I love sitting there and watching rounds four through seven. First of all, many of those guys I've had a chance to, to see in person and call games where uh, sometimes they're guys from smaller schools that might play against an SEC opponent on a Saturday, you know, in a non-conference tilt or even a conference USA player, somebody like that, like an Edo Shepherd of Southern Miss. I mean, I've, I've, I did a couple of his games back, back in the day. And I'm sitting to myself going, wow, this guy could, he's good enough to play in the sec. Uh, there's a lot of those type of stories and those stories kind of play out in day two and day three. We all know who the top players are. We talk about them for eight months leading up to the draft. So we, nobody was surprised about, uh, most of those guys we will get into Baker Mayfield later, but I, I love seeing the other guys go and, and getting an appreciation for, the scouting at the next level, JC, you, you have been, uh, front and center on the recruiting scale. So you get to see how players are evaluated and you've done plenty of evaluating yourself of seniors, juniors in high school. I love seeing juniors and seniors in college at the NFL season. It was another year where the sec dominated the draft 53 players, 53 leads the way. I think it's like the 12th consecutive year, the Southeastern conference, has had the most players. So with apologies to Danny Cannell, the talent in the SEC is not going anywhere. The ACC was second with 45. By the way, the Big 12, 20. Hmm. Last of all the Power 5 schools. There were 19 players selected from FCS schools. The Big 12 had 20 drafted. Um, So there's really no surprise there. I I guess some of the surprises, JC, first of all, NC State. Where's NC State getting all this talent? You tell me. You've been... (sighs) You've been evaluating these kids. Maybe, uh, maybe our man Cole Kublik, who had them in the playoff, maybe he was he was thinking about that when he made that prediction because he saw on tape they had a lot of talent. Did Did you have any idea they had that many guys? Um, I, you know, I, I think that you know when you look at it, they had a uh, they did a great job of evaluating, um, and and also a few years back, I guess it was. Gosh, the 2014 or 2015 class, it was whatever class Mason Rudolph was in. Because I remember going to Shrine Bowl that year. And for those of you that don't know, the Shrine Bowl of the Carolinas is an annual all-star game between the top players uh, in North and South Carolina, uh, high school-wise. It's it's in Spartanburg, my hometown, so it's always nice to get over there. Um, And I remember looking at at the guys they had, and I, I went, you know, NC State has got a lot of players that are sort of under the radar that they've taken from within the state of North Carolina, which is always sort of a, 
a state that doesn't get enough credit for producing football talent. And, um, you know, I, I thought to myself at that time, I was like, there's some players here. Now, there there are other players beyond, you know, what they got from the Shrine Bowl that year. Like Bradley Chubb is from Georgia. Um, they beat everybody in the country on, on him, you know, and uh, went out and got him. And, and, and I think that when you watch NC State the last couple of years, uh, the bottom line is they've, they've underachieved. <laughs> given their their, yes. their talent level. Um, they weren't very great on defense last year, even though they had a dominant front. Um, they had a great quarterback, a good offensive scheme. A lot of their games ended up being in that, you know, 35-25 range. Uh, but, you know, if you look at Clemson and how immensely talented the Tigers are compared to the rest of the ACC, and, and I think that was more evident this past season uh, when they were going through a transition at quarterback, and they were they had lost some players off last season's team, they were depending on some young guys to step up, and they just ran roughshod, with the exception of the Syracuse game and a close game at NC State, you know, through the rest of the league. But but you look at NC State against the Tigers the last two years, there was one game that went to overtime that NC State arguably should have won if they hadn't missed a field a chip shot field goal. And then last year, thirty-eight to thirty-one ball game. That was that was probably outside of the toe stump at Syracuse, and then the Bama game, of course. That was the most Clemson was really challenged within the league, and that game was in Raleigh. Uh, yeah, you kind of look at some of their other results, and and, and it wasn't always uh, stellar. Um, so Dave Doran, and when he was, they were talking about him getting the Tennessee job last year. I was. I thought it would have been an atrocious hire, probably the worst hire they could have made. You know, to me, I, I think that when you look at the at the results, you know, probably a pretty good recruiter, really good evaluator of talent. But, you know, hey, man, look, nine and four last year with that group in that league, which was down, um, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I got to kind of question, especially when you send seven guys to the NFL draft. Yeah, and by the way, they're not the only one that underachieved with a number of players in the draft. The Florida Gators had the same amount of guys, and uh, again, we all know how that season went. Mm-hmm. But it, it it does go to show you <laughs> you can have a lot of guys drafted. If you got quarterback issues, you still got issues in college football. You're just you're not going to win in today's day and age of college football with just a bunch of great athletes in other spots and have a world of issues with the most important position on the field and quarterback, some of the other numbers, but Alabama of course led the way. I mean, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, that basically their entire defense from the last two seasons, all 11 starters got drafted. <laughs> uh, it, it just goes to show you where, where they are compared to, to everybody else right now. Auburn had four Mississippi state four, Ole Miss four, Tennessee, three, A&M three, Arkansas, two, Missouri won, South Carolina won. So basically that Gamecock team that had one player drafted and that was uh, a couple of years removed from a three and eight season beat a North Carolina state team that was chock full of NFL talent. Again, to your point, an under vastly underachieving group under coach Dave Doran, uh, Vanderbilt had one Kentucky had zero. Now Kentucky's going to have some guys drafted in this upcoming class. So when you look at these lists, you have to keep in mind, it's not college basketball or anybody that has a cup of coffee in, in, at the collegiate level is draft eligible. You got to wait three years in college football. So uh, Kentucky does have a lot of young guys that this year will be draft eligible. And I think that number uh, will certainly be above zero, but it does go to show you, I mean, when you see at the bottom, 
Kentucky zero, Vandy one, South Carolina one, Missouri one, Arkansas two. I mean, these are programs that have struggled the last couple of years. Uh, they have not had a ton of talent. That's not underachieving necessarily from a coach's standpoint, uh, but it certainly is indicative of the, of the talent that they have. Uh, here, here's a little other nugget for you. I'll just throw a couple more out and get your thoughts. Uh, you got the sniffles today, I hear, JC. Are you feeling okay? Is everything all right? Oh, yeah. This pollen, uh, pollen's killing me, and uh, the weather keeps Welcome changing. to the South. Yeah. So. <laughs> the, pollen, the pollen of the South playing a factor here early on. You're a gamer. You're going to tough through this. Um, Iowa State, four consecutive years, the Cyclones have not had a player drafted. Golly. I mean, I love the folks in Ames. I love the folks in Cyclone Nation. But to go four years without a player drafted, that's that's tough, man. That's that is that is really uh, hardcore. And I mentioned the Big 12, which is 20, 20 guys out of the Big 12. Now, again, they only have 10 teams compared to 14 in some of these other leagues. But still, it, it, it's a poor number. And here, here's what I, I want to lead into. It's not just Oklahoma fans and Cleveland Brown fans that are going to be pulling hard for Baker Mayfield to be a success story in the NFL. You know who else is pulling for Baker Mayfield to be a success, JC? Everybody associated with the Big 12, from Commissioner Bowlesby to the fans of the other nine schools. If you look at Big 12 quarterbacks from RG3 on that have gone to the NFL the last few years, name for me a Big 12 quarterback that's been a great success here recently in the NFL. I can name plenty from the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12. How about the How about the Big Twelve? Hmm. Uh, well, uh, you know, if you're the Chiefs uh, and you took Patrick Mahomes ahead of Deshaun Watson last year, I mean, I, I, it may be too early considering Deshaun's season was cut short with an injury, and that is an issue that I think you have to look at. But wow, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the tra- the track record there has been less than stellar. RG3, going back to Vince Young. Vince Young. You know, Sam Bradford's arguably been pretty successful in the league. but Can't uh, keep him healthy. Yeah, and, and, you know, Jason White was sort of a a bust out of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you go all the way back there, Colt McCoy didn't do much. I mean, you know, I I think probably Andy Dalton would be the guy you'd point toward, but I don't think he played for TCU when they were in the Big 12. No, yeah, they were – I think they were in the Mountain West at the time, if I'm not mistaken. So So. this goes goes to a larger point you've made it a number of times, and that is this. The Big 12 has – an image issue. And I'm not talking about, you know, breaking the law and all that other stuff. This is, this is much more benign stuff, but all these quarterbacks light it up in the big 12, right? I mean, just put up astronomical numbers. It's like watching uh, the old AFL back in the sixties, which is before I was born. But if you watch enough NFL films, or if you follow the history of pro football, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they've had, they've had no problem putting up, huge numbers in the big 12 conference, but that has not translated well into the NFL. And so like everything else, the big 12, a lot of people look at the offense in the big 12 and they look at it with a grain of salt. They look at all these teams averaging 35 points a game and running these spread offenses and doing this and that. And it just doesn't seem to translate very often well into the NFL. Now, again, I I like Baker Mayfield. I hope he makes it. I hope Mason Rudolph 
tears it up. Patrick Mahomes, I called some of his games at Tech. I hope he winds up doing a great job with the Kansas City Chiefs. But if none of these guys turn out to be success stories, it's going to continue that kind of dubious label for the Big 12 as this is a conference where they don't play any defense. They all run these kind of gimmicky offenses. They all have quarterbacks that put up great numbers and look like they're terrific up until the point where they got to translate it into pro football and it doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean, and I was going to get back to that style of play in that league. It's not it's not conducive, I don't think, to winning national championships, and I, I don't think it's conducive to, you know, producing high-level uh, quarterbacks when you're talking about the NFL. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll throw a couple names out here too. Josh McCown, Nick Foles, Matthew Stafford. All the, those three, and there's probably more that I'm missing here, played quarterback – in the state of Texas, left the state of Texas uh, to go elsewhere. Um, and in McCown's case, he went to Sam Houston State. Uh, you know, and, and and did not go to that league. You meant, we mentioned Andy Dalton earlier. He he went to TCU, was in the Mountain West. So the, the bigger schools in that state, and and I don't I don't know that it's fair, Mike, because you, you recruit based on who can help you win football games at the college level. You're not necessarily recruiting. You know, to go get guys that um, you know are, are going to translate to the league because it, you know it's it's obviously the style of play in the Big Twelve is far different than the style of play uh, in the NFL, and it's probably the one league that's the most different. Um, but you, you look at it. I mean, if you're the University of Texas and you look at the quarterbacks you've had and how you've struggled at the position uh, over the years. And then you see these guys going elsewhere. There's some sort of disconnect, I think, within that state. Because in the Big 12, the state of Texas is basically the – I call it the breadbasket. Kind of like Ohio is kind of the breadbasket of the Big Ten. You look – there's a lot of Ohio guys on every roster just about in the Big Ten. Uh, although with the expansion east, you know, I think New Jersey and Pennsylvania will have something to say about that. Um, you know, the, the California is the breadbasket of the Pac-12. Uh, and you look at it, and you look at the fact that for years, you know, the best high school play, and Texas has the best high school football in the country as far as the, the programs go, the money they put into it, the resources. There's nothing like Texas high school football on a Friday night. So, so they've got good players at the high school level. I, I don't know if it's just evaluation miss after evaluation miss, uh, or if it's it's a situation where maybe because of the offenses at the high school level, which are spread, chunking around the yard kind of systems, uh, and then you know they're just so ingrained in that system that they do pretty well when they're playing in the Big Twelve, but then when you get to uh, the pros, it's a, it's a different story because it's more difficult and there's a lot. It's a different game, different ball game. Um, so, so I don't know. And then on defense, I mean. They don't really play much defense in that league, um, and it's interesting because they, they a lot of good defensive recruits go to schools like Oklahoma and Texas and even TCU and Baylor, and it's just one of those things where you look at it and go, "Wow, you know that's kind of kind of different." But I, you know, I'm I am not critical of the style of playing the Big Twelve because it's really fun to watch, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not trying to be critical of it. And I'm not saying that a Big 12 quarterback will never be good in the pros or et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I I do think that it does hurt that league, you know, when they get in the playoffs and you can't stop anybody. 
you know. I mean, look at Oklahoma against Georgia this year. That Georgia offense, uh, very talented group, obviously, with Chubb and Michelle. Um, and Jake Fromm did an outstanding job. But, you know, they, <laughs> they hung 54 on the Sooners. Mm-hmm. I think their next highest total was against Missouri, which is a, you know, kind of a Big 12 relic. And uh, <laughs> they scored 53. Uh, you know, I mean, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a team that goes up and down the field. Look at Oklahoma's game uh, against Clemson in the semis two years ago. Uh, you know, the same deal, you know, Oklahoma very talented, coming in averaging a gillion points a game. Um, that Clemson defense at times gave up points that year. Uh, if you think about the Pitt game and if you think about the uh, the Alabama game where they gave up 45, that, that, that was a defense that was very talented but that at times gave up points. Oklahoma couldn't move it, 17 points in that football game. Um, and so I do, I do think it hurts the elite teams in that league that there's no defense. And then when they get into a game, get into a game with a team that that uh, you know that that may not be great on offense, you know it kind of uh, it kind of hurts them. You know, th- back in 2011, there was this debate about Oklahoma State or Alabama getting the bid to go play LSU uh, in in the Sugar Bowl for the national title, and Bama got the bid, and that game was 21 nothing, and everybody's griping about how boring it was, blah 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 blah. And they're like, well, Oklahoma State would have ran LSU off the field. What they don't understand about that is, uh, yeah, Oklahoma State probably would have scored more points than Bama against LSU, uh, or possibly. But what they don't understand is LSU may have had 35 at halftime. Right. You know, just because they wouldn't have been able to stop it. So it's a fascinating debate to look at it uh, when you're talking about the Big 12 style of play where they recruit, what their programs do. And it's going to take a Texas, uh, I would say in Oklahoma, but Lincoln Riley's there and we know what he's going to do. And, and no offense to him, great coach, all that good stuff. But that's the, the, that's the in vogue Big 12 style play. It's probably going to take Texas, Mike, to say, we're Texas and we're not going to go try to be Baylor or Texas Tech like everybody else in this league has done over the years and morphed into this thing. We're going to line up and punch you in the mouth and, and, you know, run spread option and and smash mouth like we did at Ohio State, Tom Herman, and play physical. And I think once that happens, we may see see a trend in the other direction at some of these schools. Well, basically what you're saying is, there's no reason why Texas can't beat up on everybody in the Big 12 the same way and fashion Alabama does it in the SEC. You know they can recruit the athletes. Uh, they should be able to just smash mouth the heck. And I think that's what they thought they were getting in Charlie Strong, who's never been accused of being this great offensive mind or innovator. Charlie Strong was going to get those players and they were just going to beat up people on defense and they could play an Alabama type pedestrian offense and dominate the big 12 conference. And for whatever reason, it never worked under Charlie and we'll see if it's going to work under Herman now at Texas. But I mean, you would think that'd be a no brainer that Texas could just do, could just dominate that league, you know, get, get challenged by Oklahoma, maybe by TCU, but but that would be like the equivalent of that would be the LSU in Florida uh, uh, of the SEC to to Alabama, which is clearly even though those are good programs and good teams, they're not in the they're not in the class of Alabama. Te- nobody should be in the class of Texas. Uh, but you're right; they're all playing that same brand of football for the most part. 
And I, I just thought it was fascinating. I'll give you one more stat, and then I'll move on from this. This might knock your socks off, JC, assuming you're wearing any. Uh, these are Big 12 quarterbacks who threw for over 5,000 yards in, <clears throat> in college. Some of them threw for over 10,000. And I'll let you decide how their NFL career went. We start with Josh Freeman of Kansas State. Remember him? Threw for over 13,000 yards. Uh, first round draft pick of the Bucks had a, a good year, maybe two, and then busted. Sam Bradford, who we alerted to, alerted, uh, alerted. Uh, I'm trying to talk in one ear and listen in another, which is the challenge here. Alluded to earlier, Sam Bradford threw for 11,000 yards at Oklahoma and can't stay upright in college. Again, at, at times he's shown at least signs and he'll be a 10 year veteran. Vince Young maybe the best national championship game performance we've ever seen by a quarterback flamed out of the NFL quickly. Geno Smith of West Virginia. Boy, that went bad in a hurry. Colt McCoy. Boy, he certainly looked the part of Texas, didn't he? Not any success really in, in the pros and Brandon Whedon. Brandon Whedon was lighting the world on fire at Oklahoma State and, and never though these are all guys that threw for over 5,000 in some cases 10,000 yards in the Big 12 and then you go to the NFL and not so much so I'll, I'll just circle back and finish on this point and that is if you're a Big 12 fan even if you hated Baker Mayfield when he was at Oklahoma he probably ruined your Saturday afternoon or night a time or two you want him to do well you want this stigma of Big 12 football and the fact that these are just artificial numbers, these are empty calories that we're seeing put up every year in that league, uh, you want that, that, that overall perception to change uh, for the betterment of the league, I would think. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, Sam Darnold, Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, Josh Allen, Roquan Smith, Mike McGlinchey, Josh Rosen, those are the top 10 players. And yes, four of them were quarterbacks i'm going to finish the nfl draft on this note jc as only you can do it give me the breakdown in recruiting of those four kind of a brief synopsis i'm not looking for like a two-pager here on each of those kids coming out of high school my guess is a number of people i know baker mayfield was a two-time walk-on so he could not have been that big of a recruit and probably people questioned his size Sam Darnold, I'm guessing, was a, a, a stud. Josh Allen, we know, had to send out tapes just to get a D1 offer, despite the fact that he's got one of the best arms an NFL prospect has had in 20 years. And Josh Rosen, another guy, I'm guessing, had a lot of stars next to his name. Uh, what am I missing, if anything, in terms of how these kids were evaluated? Well, as far as high school goes, you know, Baker Mayfield, undersized guy, probably just a, a guy that we missed. You know, he was just kind of out there. And then he got to, of course, got to Texas Tech, and he could play pretty well, <laughs> obviously. Uh, and he's um, just one of those guys, you know, people missed on him. Um, that happens, uh, especially at quarterback. <laughs> when you look at some of the guys that were ranked above, you know, I mean, Blake Barnett was a five-star. I think he's on heading to school number four or three, four if you count the JUCO. And he was committed to Notre Dame during the process so you know and that wasn't a guy I was terribly high on coming out but a lot of other people liked him um you know as far as Sam Darnold goes 
it, it was interesting because th- there was a quarterback named Ricky Town who's kind of gone the way of Blake Barnett. <laughs> uh, I think he went from SC to Arkansas, and I don't know where he's at now. Um, everybody liked, and uh, he committed to a- SC early. Um, and Darnold was the other quarterback in that class. And by the time the cycle was over, Darnold was – everybody was like, it's going to be Sam Darnold. And he, he really played well. You know, do, do I think – you know, if I'm looking at the NFL, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold to me, I've got some questions about it. Um, but uh, certainly can't argue with the way he played. Uh, you know, Josh Rosen certainly, uh, I think, needed to go ahead of all these guys. Uh, I think he kind of got unfairly blackballed a bit. Uh, of course, you're the number ten pick in the draft, so I, I don't know that you know. <laughs> I don't know that it's been that costly of a blackballing. Um, you know, just because he's outspoken, he's a different kind of kid. I think he landed in a great situation in Arizona, though. Uh, I think that organization's run pretty well. Um, I think he's got a chance to really do something positive there. But Rosen was the guy, you know in the class that, that, you know, ended up being number one uh, as far as quarterbacks go. Uh, I thought he may even be the number one prospect in the country that particular year. Um, you know, 6'4", rocket arm, intelligent kid. I, I thought at UCLA he took a beating at times uh, and kept getting back up. You know, there were some issues about concussions and injuries and all that. Well, you know, the kid stood in the pocket and, you know, took a beating uh, and played for a team that, you know, culturally probably needs to get a little tougher and better. And so uh, I think that uh, when you look at the complete package there, uh, I thought he was the best quarterback in the draft. Now, I don't feel as strongly about that as I did Deshaun Watson um, last year, you know, because you're talking about Watson versus Trubisky versus Mahomes. Uh, and I had, you know, selfishly had every reason in the world to want Mitch Trubisky to go number one overall because, you know, Jerry Hamilton and I, when we were at 24-7 Sports doing rankings, we were the only ones to rank Mitch Trubisky kind of even in the top 200. Hmm. He's a kid out of Ohio that Ohio State took JT Barrett instead uh, out of the state of Texas. Um, went to North Carolina, you know, played one year, and I was like, well, I'm going to look pretty good on this. Hmm. But but I, I – I, I watched a lot of Deshaun Watson, obviously, living in upstate South Carolina with him playing for Clemson. And I just I just think that it's underrated when you talk about the guy that's going to get the ball with two minutes left and drive your team down the field to victory that responds to that pressure situation, regardless of what has happened earlier in the game. You know, Watson would not play flawless in some game. You know, sometimes he'd throw a couple of picks and – throw some incompletions, people held that against him. But you look at the Notre Dame game in the rain in 2015. You look at the game against Louisville, where Louisville came back, scored 26 unanswered points uh, with Lamar Jackson there at Death Valley, and then Watson all of a sudden just starts throwing lasers, leads him back to win. Uh, Look at the Alabama game. Look at the game against Virginia Tech in the ACC championship in 2015, where it was close and the Hokies were kind of – had some momentum, and here comes Watson. You know, I just saw him do that time and time again at the collegiate level. Uh, and, you know, he's got the size, 6'4", 220, that kind of thing. Um, this year, I, you know, I, I think it's Rosen. And, you know, Rosen, of course, had the big comeback against A&M, and, and he did some other things. It wasn't as prevalent as Watson, obviously. Um, but I just feel like when I look at all these other guys, 
uh, that, that Rosen is, is probably the best pick in the, in the draft as far as quarterbacks go. And, and I embrace his intellectual curiosity and his outspokenness um, because I think, you know, that, that kind of plays into leadership and things like that. And, and, you know, the fact that he comes from a rich family, and we talk, talked about this, it actually to me is a positive because, look, if, if you're financially set for life, or you're, you've got money and you can go do something else, you know, why do you want to keep taking a beating and playing football? To me, that's a sign that he loves the game. You know, you hear that all the time. Does he love football? Well, I think the fact he's still playing, you know, and he, and he like I said, he got hit and hit and hit at UCLA and stood in there. I think that's a positive, not a negative yeah. for him. So, so that, I, that was my take on those four quarterbacks. I, 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 I would only say this about Rosen, and I'm with you. I mean, I don't think I'd have a, a problem taking him, but I, I understand. And I, again, I mentioned the Peter King quote that he talked to a lot of NFL executives, and they they just said point blank they don't like rich kids. It's nothing personal. They, they just doubt the motivation of a rich kid prefer, uh, compared to a kid that has got to make it in the NFL and do everything he has to to sustain a career in the NFL to support himself and his family because there is no plan B for a lot of these kids. Josh Rosen is a kid that has plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E all laid out for him. He's incredibly bright. He comes from money. He's educated. He could do a number of different things. I'm with you. doesn't mean he's not going to be a great quarterback. I mean, I want a smart guy under center. Uh, but that that was part of the issue. Coaches don't like players at the NFL level that ask the following question, why? They want to know, you know, the what, how, they, they want those kind of questions. They don't want the why. They, they don't want, like, you know, when you talk to uh, a five-year-old and you tell them the earth's round, well, why is it round? I don't know. It just is. Why is the sky blue? I don't know. It just is. They don't want a guy who's going to be the face of the franchise asking questions like, well, why do we have to do it this way? Why don't we do it that way? That's, that's not what you want from a NFL rookie quarterback. Uh, but, but there are certain just kind of stigmas attached. Look, Baker Mayfield has had to fight through the fact that a lot of people forget about the size for a moment. Cause I, I think we're getting past the notion that you have to be six, four to be an NFL quarterback. Russell Wilson's five ten, and Russell Wilson is damn good. Drew Brees is six feet. I've stood next to Drew Brees. Not only is he not that tall, he's pretty slight of frame. He's a, but he's an elite athlete and an elite co- hall of fame, first ballot quarterback. I think the bigger issue for Baker Mayfield was too many people were trying to make a Johnny Manziel analogy. As a kid who, you know, a little too too cool for school, too too pers- too much personality, too concerned about his image. I don't think he's John. I never got the vibe that Baker Mayfield is Johnny Manziel. I, there there might be some issues there. I don't see Johnny Manziel like issues. Who clearly was more concerned about uh, things like being a, a, a star and being a almost like a reality show type of star. I mean, he, he looked like a guy who wanted to be a Kardashian more than he wanted to be an NFL quarterback. He's learned from that and trying to make his way back. All right. Uh, let's move on from the NFL draft. Uh, again, I think it's always my, my favorite thing about the NFL draft compared to the other ones is we all have an identity with these kids. If you fall college football, you're a fan of college football. You're not, you're not looking up tape on some uh six ten power forward from Madagascar, uh, or some, you're not watching high school highlights of a kid from a McDonald's all American game. You got three years of tape 
uh, where you feel like you know these guys. That's why the NFL draft killed. They crushed it in the ratings, crushed it again in the ratings for names being called off at a podium. That's how much we love college football. The love of college football and the identity of those kids helps the numbers with the NFL draft. That's why the NFL wants no part of any one and done or any other rule. They've, they've got it figured out. They're once again, smarter than everybody else running professional sports. The other big story, of course, spring football has come. It has gone. I got to be honest with you, JC. I've probably spent 10 minutes watching spring football games. I really had no interest in the games, but storylines, that is something that I was very interested in. I, I, I think we've beat the Alabama story to death. Hertz versus Tua. It's pretty obvious to me, even though Nick Saban is trying to play it smart to where Jalen Hurts does not transfer, it's pretty obvious to me Tua is going to get the job. And Hurts, very, very likely at that point, will consider transferring somewhere else, and I wouldn't blame him for doing so. But either way, Alabama is still going to be Alabama. So I, I know this is a storyline that a lot of folks are going to milk for four or five months. I don't know if it's that big a story. I, I'd be more concerned about other schools, like who's Florida actually going to have as their starter? Uh, what What is LSU going to do at quarterback? What is Tennessee going to do at quarterback? Those, to me, were bigger storylines. But what are some of the storylines that stood out to you during the month of April and, and spring football games? Well, you know, the, the, the whole attendance thing, I think, is kind of getting – a little whacked out. I mean, yeah, Agreed. Jeremy Pruitt kind of calling out the fans. It's and not. Like, a, can I just interrupt? Can I just interrupt one second? It's not a sign of being a great fan base or a great program based on having 90,000 fans sitting there and watching a glorified scrimmage. That, to me, does not define the quality of a program or a fan base. I've heard that a number of times now by coaches and other people, and I think that's the biggest crock of you-know-what I don't blame any fan for not wanting to show up to a spring game. All right, just had to get that off my chest. Proceed. Yeah, I mean, so you look at it from that standpoint. Yeah, you know, Pruitt doing that. Uh, Georgia had a big crowd. You know, I think a lot in a lot of ways Georgia does it because Alabama did it. And, of course, Kirby Smart came from Alabama. And I think that's why Pruitt's upset because Pruitt was at Alabama. And I think what people maybe don't entirely grasp is – with Alabama rolling like they are, um, and, they, and they've been doing this for about 10 years now, it, it, you know, it's, it's not easy to get a ticket to a game in Tuscaloosa. On top of that, they play a neutral site game every year, and sometimes their home schedule leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and, you know, Alabama football is huge in that state, and you know, there's way more people that want to see the Tide than, uh, you know, they have tickets for. You know, so so it, it, it's not ridiculous for that fan base to pack out Bryant Denny Stadium for a spring game. It's just not ridiculous for that to happen. Um, you know, you compare it to Tennessee, where you know during the spring, you know, and, and Tennessee's had great crowds for spring games. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you have a hundred and something thousand seat stadium, and you hadn't won in a long time. Uh, that's a tough draw, but. Man, you know, there's going to be some people that are going to be on the lake at Pigeon Forge, over near Pigeon Forge that weekend. There's some people that are going to be going hunting, you know, fishing, that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm not saying there's nothing to do in Alabama because there are those types of activities to do. I'm just saying that, you know, Alabama's an outlier as far as these big spring game crowds. And, and Georgia, what's the whole reason Georgia 
fired Mark Rick and hired Kirby Smart because they want to get to that level. So they, their fans understand it. They have a larger fan base, a larger state. I get it. You know, uh, Will Muschamp at South Carolina was asked about it. And he said, well, some of these people were fudging their numbers. <laughs> He's like, is it no. a little like that to me? Um, Somebody would fudge the numbers yeah. on a spring game? I can't believe that. Uh, yeah, you know. It's just, he's like, well, how many tickets they sell? Where, where the turnstiles? That type of thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think you, you look at Ole Miss. They had bad weather, and gosh, they look like 15 people there. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, so so I, I think that spring game crowds are, are – are I know why they do it, because you want your recruits that are there, because it, it it's become a very big recruiting weekend – to kind of experience a game day atmosphere to show your fans are loyal, that type of thing. And you want to spin it and sell it. And that's recruiting. You spin it and you sell it. Hey, we had this, that, and the other. I mean, look, Clemson won their first national championship in 35 years. They have one of the most loyal fan bases uh, in the country, as is evidenced by the fact that they traveled to Phoenix two years in a row and packed out in Tampa and packed it out in New Orleans this past year. Um you know, and, and when they the spring game after they won the national title, I think they had sixty thousand in an eighty thousand seat stadium. You know, and and it, it's it's just not it's not something that I think is trending in college football toward. You know, hey, let's pack it out now. You want to sweeten the pot. You want to let uh, schools scrimmage each other in the in the spring. Now I'm in. Everybody's in, yeah. <laughs> you know. It, but, it's going to be. Coaches will back. never let it happen. It's coaches go, I, will never no, risk no. an injury. On it that. will never happen. But but hey, I, you you want something like that going down? Uh, it, it you know more power to you. But I think that uh, when you look at it from the standpoint of just you know some of these talks about crowds, it's kind of kind of ridiculous. You know, I, I thought when you look at Florida. Um, you know, I, I I think that they're really going to be helped, um, you know, by some additions. You know, Van Jefferson, uh, the transfer from Ole Miss, and, and we'll get to the Shea Patterson thing in a little bit. Uh, I, I think that when you when you consider that, you know, it's uh, it, 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 it's a situation where I can kind of see some things happening down there uh, based on their kind of uh, rec- what I know about their guys that they got as recruits. You know, sort of what I know about their their personnel. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see them surprise, you know, you know, sort of, uh, surprise a little bit this year. I think that, you know, I, I can kind of just see it sort of coming. Are you sold on Franks? I don't know. Don't okay. know. But I think that, that in that type of system, you, you have, all right. So here, here's who Felipe Franks is going to be. He's either going to be like the Felipe Franks we thought he was, and, and he's going to surprise everybody and be able to run and throw because he's got a good arm. Or he's going to be a kid named Tyler Russell that played for Mississippi State during the early Mullen years who was more, well. more, more of a pro-style guy, big arm, uh, big kid. Was not bad. Was not bad. But until they kind of got a Dak Prescott in there, you know, that, that, that true dual-threat guy that could get out there and make a lot of plays – I, uh, you know, they weren't as good as they ended up being. Um, so, so Franks is kind of an enigma. I know everybody talks about Emory Jones. I think he's probably a better fit for the system. I expect him to play a lot this year. But the thing about Mullen and his system is you give him speed, and, and Florida does have speed, and they have good backs. 
uh, you give him some guys to kind of work with offensively, and he can, he can muster some stuff. I mean, he can, he can get it going. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a system that's difficult to stop because you have to defend the power run on the interior, but you also have to defend the perimeter, sideline to sideline. And, and that's, that's, that's a very difficult matchup uh, for any defense. And so, you know, when, when I look at it from that standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, uh, optimistic about Florida – this coming season, um, you know, I think Mississippi State's going to be solid again this year. Uh, LSU, you know, there's a lot of negativity in Baton Rouge right now. The expectations are not high. Um, I think they need some good things to happen to them early and get off to a good start, or, or it's going to get ugly pretty quick. You know, I'm excited about Auburn and Alabama. I th- those are probably my top two teams in the West right now. Um, you know, and then uh, it's intriguing to me what will happen at A&M. Um, and, uh, you know, then South Carolina, you mentioned earlier, Mike, you, you have one player drafted this year. Last year they had none, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, maybe the kicker. Probably not, though. Um, I, and, 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 you know, that, that's a team that's won 15 games the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that kind of tells you that their better players have been younger and then there's so there's an added year of experience, and they have just about everybody back. And mm-hmm. so I think that when you look at it from that standpoint, the optimism you're going to hear out of Columbia this coming season is – I don't think it's going to be at a fever pitch because I don't think the fans are going to 100% rally behind it. I think the fans are cautiously optimistic because their two big rivals, of course, are Georgia and Clemson, and they're still kind of behind those schools. Um, but I, I think that you know when you look at the returning personnel – um, and the fact that, you know, they haven't lost a whole lot of great talent, you know, hadn't had, I mean, most of their good players have been young. Uh, I think there's reason for optimism because of the experience factor. So that, that's yeah. kind of my take there, you know, as far as uh, um, the, the spring storylines. And, and you mentioned the Bama quarterback battle. And, uh, I, you know, you know, I'm sold on two. He was the number one quarterback to me in the SEC. So I think that's pretty much going to happen. I, I thought it was unfortunate that, his dad went on the record and said, well, if he doesn't win the job, basically if he doesn't win the job, he's transferring. He'll be the most sought-after free agent in college football. You're talking about Jalen's dad? Yeah, Jalen Hurts' dad. And I, I don't know about that. I think um, I think that's a little unfortunate. But, I mean, his dad was a high school coach and all that good stuff. So that, that's my take on all that. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, this is where dads <laughs> – we've seen this very often in uh, sports lately – Dads sometimes uh, they're not doing junior any favors. Jalen Hurts handled that whole situation as good as anybody could possibly handle it. Uh, he gets yanked in a national championship game, unbelievable record as a starting quarterback, and there he is cheering his team on, being supportive. He's taking the high road. He hasn't said anything dumb on social media, uh, so I applaud that young man. I I really don't care what dad has to say, uh, uh, but. I, I don't think Jalen's going to win the job. I just think it's two is going to win the job. Nick Saban, like any coach, would love to have both of them. So you want to convince the the backup that he's got a chance to play, and he probably does have a chance to play. Uh, but if Jalen Hurts wants to be a starting quarterback again, he's probably going to have to transfer. Now it's not the worst thing in the world against the one position where there's only one of you. So you either have the starting job, yeah, you could put in packages. But it's not like Tua's not mobile. So what kind of packages are you putting in for Jalen Hurts? Mm. You know, you're taking it. 
this is not your typical, well, he's our pocket passer and he's our change of pace guy that we're going to run Wildcat. You can run, you can run anything with Tua. You can run Wildcat and you can uh, sprint draw and whatever else you want to do that, that kid can do it. So that story, again, it, 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 it's talk show fodder for the entire summer because it's Alabama. I don't even think it's that controversial to be honest with you. I'm, I'm more concerned. And if we're talking just sec again, what is, you know, what is Florida going to do at quarterback? What is Tennessee going to do at quarterback? What is Texas A&M going to do at quarterback? Can Chad Morris get any uh, momentum going with Cole Kelly at quarterback? You know, we, we know there are a number of established quarterbacks. You might have noticed there was not an SEC quarterback drafted, unless I'm mistaken, late round. But that's going to change. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Drew Locke of Missouri is going to lead the way. He's probably going to be a top 10 pick based on just pure arm talent and what he has. And some people think Kyle Shermer could even be a guy that could play at the next level. And, you know, Nick Fitzgerald's a headliner at Mississippi state. Jake Bentley is a guy that I think could really have a strong season this year. Now uh, with a new quarterback coach and with returning guys, you'll miss, you'll miss uh, old Thor over there at the tight end spot, but all the other skilled guys are, are essentially back there. But uh, it, I, the quarterback situation, as we talked about on a, on a podcast a few weeks ago, is in great shape in the SEC this year for the most part. There's always going to be some teams that are going to have to figure out who their guy is going to be. But, I mean, even a guy like Jordan Te'amu of, of Ole Miss, I've seen him in cl- up close. He's got a chance to have a special year. I, I, I know Ole Miss has just been a forgotten program, but that kid can play. Talk about a, a good Juco find. So there, Jarrett Stidham at Auburn. It, it's going to be a fun year to watch quarterbacks in the Southeastern Conference uh, this season. And, you know, in the ACC, I think the Florida State quarterback situation is intriguing. I think the Clemson quarterback situation is intriguing. Um, and then I don't know what else we're looking at, quite frankly. You know, Louisville now without – Lamar Jackson. We again, we went over all that. I don't want to circle back too much on that, but those the, the main things I look at in, in spring football: uh, programs with new coaches, programs with quarterback battles. I'm not learning much about the offensive line in spring football or a spring game. I'm not learning much about that. You know? Yeah. So I, uh, definitely. Yeah, that's just uh, those are the main takeaways on that, and uh, you know, the stories will continue to circulate. As we kind of get near the end of, of this podcast, I, I think the the biggest story, and this affects a lot of things now, Shea Patterson is finally, and you know how I felt about this. I, I thought it was criminal that it even lasted this long. And I, sometimes I really wonder uh, the the logic of the NCAA if you're trying to if you're trying to use uh, certain things as a deterrent to cheating vacating wins is the stupidest penalty known to mankind. Um, (laughs) But what you can do in addition to scholarship reductions, you can allow players to transfer penalty free and that can cripple a program as much as anything and really send a stern message. Don't cheat. Cause if you do, we are going to cause a, a, an exodus of players that you are going to be crippled by for a number of years. Anyway, that being said, Shea Patterson finally, in recent me- recent times here, gets the green light. He gets to go for Michigan. That changes the complexion of so many things, JC, in terms of 
Michigan now being a, 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 a player, a contender, not only in the Big Ten, but nationally. Yeah, I, I think that was what they were missing last year. If, if you look at it, and there was a good stat. You mentioned Cole earlier today. Uh, Cole tweeted something out the other day that Michigan had less touchdown passes last year than Georgia Tech. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Ooh, Lordy. That, that's a low blow. Now, now, in fairness, Georgia Tech's entire offense is based on – you know, option, 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 option. All right, we're going to throw deep. And, you know, they, they throw a, a more touchdown passes than you think. But still, I mean, you know, you think about Michigan, you're like, wow. And, and you know, in watching Michigan last year, that was just the issue. You know, Spate was never a guy I thought was that good, um, sort of bottomed out. I, I thought he overachieved in previous years. Um, then Brandon Peters, you know, has some ability and talent, but – probably ultimately wasn't ready. Uh, but you think about kind of the pieces they have in place. You know, they lost so many starters off their defense from 2016, which was really good. Uh, and then they had a great defense last year, the number three defense in the country. So they're, they're just going to keep on rolling on defense. And um, they have good running backs. They have a good offensive line. They always do. Um, and really good young receivers. So you throw Shea Patterson into the mix – and, you know, I think a lot of the perception is going to maybe be that, well, Patterson was in a spread with uh, Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, and he runs and throws and does all this other stuff. You know, that's not really Harbaugh and what he – whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go back to the 49ers and a, a player named Colin Kaepernick. You know, he, that team went to the Super Bowl with a dual threat, essentially a dual threat guy. So Harbaugh knows how to coach that style when he has the the player that can do it. I mean, these other guys had kind of cement shoes, you know. You can't, you can't run Brandon Peters too often. You can run Shea Patterson. Uh, I think it just helps so much, especially in those games that they've been losing to the Michigan States and Ohio States of the world. They just have not had the difference makers at QB uh, to get it done. And, and I believe that – uh, you know, I predicted Harbaugh would have them in the playoff within three years. I was wrong about that because it's now year four. I think this could be the year Michigan goes to the playoff. I think Patterson completely changes the dynamic. Um, he's such a good quarterback. Uh, he can do things with his legs, which is a big X factor. Um, that division's brutal. Penn State's not going anywhere. Ohio State's definitely not going anywhere. Michigan State's still going to be Michigan State. But, but I think this gives Michigan like a fighting chance, um, you know, to, to uh, maximize their talent they have elsewhere because of the most important position on the field, they're going to be solidified. Uh, absolutely. And I think, it, I think we need this. I mean, again, we're not banking on the Big 12 um, a whole lot to give us kind of some, some balance, if you will. It can't just be SEC, ACC every year. It can't just be Clemson, Alabama every year. We, 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 it'd be nice if the Pac-12 stepped up and gave us some, some quality teams. Uh, it, it hasn't been happening at the rate that I'm sure they would like. Uh, the, the Big 12, we already discussed that in uh, great detail. You want to have Ohio State and Michigan strong for the betterment of, of college football, I think, as a whole. And, and I know a lot of people have had their fun banging on Jim Harbaugh. I think he's great for college football. I think he's, you know, he's almost like the closest thing we have to a Steve Spurrier where uh, so many people hate him. But then when he was gone, it was like, man, I, I kind of miss having that guy to just to just hate um, and to just watch him. And I'm fascinated by him. 
I, I hope I hope Jim Harbaugh is at Michigan for the next ten years, and I hope he does have some success. There's no doubt he can coach. Has it worked out the way he wanted? No. Has he uh, done some gimmicky things that probably have not fared as well as he thought he would? Yeah, but the guy can still coach. He can still recruit. And I, I think Michigan with Shea Patterson now, as you said, they're, they're in the hunt. You know, they, they immediately go from on the periphery to they're right in the middle of the ring, I think, when it's all said and done. JC, before we wrap things up, any other uh, stories that you've been kind of just keeping eyes on? We're, we're done with spring ball. We're getting near the dog days of summer, and we'll be back to, you know, talk about other stories as they go along this season, come up with lists and every other creative thing excuse that we can come up with to talk more college football during the summertime but anything else stand out in your mind well you mentioned the the clemson quarterback battle and you know i I think the word around the campfire kind of where i'm from is that it is definitely going to be a battle um my gut says kelly bryant still holds on to it just because if you kind of look Dabo swinney started cole stout ahead of deshaun watson his freshman year i I don't think that the the idea is for them to kind of go out there with some inexperience and take any lumps. They're going to be really good. And, you know, personnel-wise, they may be, may be the number one team in the country, you know, top to bottom. Um, so I don't think they're going to go out and risk it, but I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to put a lot of heat on him as a true freshman. Um, looking at the Pac-12 real quick, I just want to say I, I think Washington could have another special season, get back to the playoff. I love Jake Browning, love their personnel. And, of course, Chris Peterson's a very good coach. Um, Pac-12 North, man, though, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's unpredictable sometimes because you, you, you have the Oregons of the world, you have a Washington State that will jump up and bite you sometimes, uh, and, and then you got Stanford, which is very solid each and every year, and they're certainly capable of beating you. What's SC going to do next year? You know, we mentioned they lost Darnold. Uh, I, look, this kid, JT Daniels, uh, graduated early. Uh, from high school, and it rolled out there. He's good battle for the starting quarterback job. Mike, I, I think just for my – and I don't do this nationally anymore, go out of the camps and stuff, but I talked to a couple of people that that do and I trust, and my gut feeling was he'd have been the number one recruit in the country for this class had he stayed in high school. So, I, you know, he's a special player, um, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him starting out there for the Trojans of SC, but those are, those are three other additional things. I'm kind of keeping an eye on as we head towards the summer. Good stuff. And I'm with you on Washington. I, I, I can't believe Browning is still there. It feels like it's been there 12 years. Uh, I love, I love Browning. I love, uh, I love their coach. I love a lot of things about UW. I'm, I, I'm just not ready to put them in that true national champion contender, uh, spot yet. Uh, I think, I think if there's a better chance, we're going to see that out of a Michigan or Ohio state, than anybody out of the Pac-12 in, in the near future. And uh, again, at some point, I want to see just a little bit of defense in the Big 12. Just just, just a little bit. I'm not asking for a lot. By the way, a moment of silence uh, for a moment. Uh, how ironic is that? A moment of silence for a moment that uh, we will no longer be seeing much of a kickoff return in college football. So a moment of silence for the kickoff return. Okay. Yeah, there's the new rule now. Basically, you could take a fair catch inside uh, the 25-yard line and you get it, get it at the 25. So, I mean, I get it. It's all about safety. We're seeing this go, uh, go down in the NFL. It's trickling down to the college game. In fact, the targeting rule from the college game is trickling down to the NFL, if you will. They're basically taking a cue from what college football has done, as controversial as that rule has been. 
people are just trying to get rid of the kill shot in in again in the game of football as a whole. There's a lot at stake here. Uh, youth football participation is down. There's uh, the threat of all kinds of lawsuits with concussions um, and brain injuries and everything else. So I understand it. I I hate it. I I enjoy watching kickoff returns. I think it's a huge part of the game. Um, They're going to have to be creative with onside kicks and everything else. But um, because at some point, I wonder if that's going to be outruled as well, outlawed as well. But um, anyway, that's the one little nugget that kind of flew under the radar the last few weeks as well. It's a pretty big rule change. I mean, there was a time if you had a major playmaker as a kickoff returner in college football, uh, that could change games. And I just, I think we're, we're getting away from that to the point where the kickoff is just going to be, go, go grab a hot dog. Cause nothing's going to happen. You're just going to see the other team take it at the 25, whether it's a touchback or whether it's a fair catch. JC always enjoyed it. My man, glad we got back on and uh, look forward to doing this throughout the summer. And again, thanks to everybody who has been tuning in and following us for those that have not done that yet. JC, what's the best way to do so? Well, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, on Google play, uh, the stitcher app, which is a really cool podcasting app. If you're into podcast, I read the other day, Mike, uh, podcasting audiences have grown by 125% the last five years, and they're expected to uh, grow into the hundreds of millions <laughs> as wow. we move toward the next decade. So this is becoming a more and more popular uh, format. So if you're getting into podcast and, and maybe you kind of just hit us up on SoundCloud or find us on 24-7 Sports, and you want to start listening to a variety of podcasts, and there are a lot of great ones out there, um, download the Stitcher app and uh, get it that way. Or if you have an iPhone, uh, if you go to the iTunes podcasting app, it'll send you an alert every time <clears throat> our show and other shows have a new show. <clears throat> Follow us on Twitter at JC Sherbert at JC S-H-U-R-B-U-R-T-T. And uh, for Mike, it's at Morgan on air, M-O-R-G-A-N on air. I'm glad you mentioned that because as we get – closer and closer to where the news might be slower we can be a little more interactive you folks that have questions or maybe when you got a bone to pick with us about something we've said or whatever uh we'll be more than happy to read it on our podcast and go over it on the podcast as we'll have a little bit more time to do that so always love being interactive with you folks out there and again thank you so much for uh continuing to grow with us on this podcast in year two heading into year three for jc sherbert mike morgan saying so long this time out again our thanks to bp skinner clothiers bp skinner clothiers.com set up an appointment today we'll see you soon next time on the jc and morgan podcast jess it's happening Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Striped. boat neck neck. sweaters. 
The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.